to Season 2, Episode 13 of Game Dev with Ashana Jameson. My name is Jameson Doral, and I'm a game designer with 20 years of experience, and I like to help people learn more about video game development. Today I'm joined by Danny Bullup. He's the design director and co-founder of Polyart Games. We discuss his time at Midway, Rockstar, and Bungie, all that leading up to the forming of Polyart Games. And we also talk about why it's important to surround yourself with the right people. Don't forget you can join the conversation live every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern over at twitch.tv forward slash Jameson Doral. There's a link in the show notes if you want to come get your questions answered live next time. But for now, let's get this episode started. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you join us. Um, I've, I've been meaning to reach out to you for quite a while, but I know you're a busy man also. And uh, But yeah, I'm glad it worked out. I was saying we've, we haven't had like a real like career talk at all so so it'd be really Ooh. nice to, to kind of dig in and and learn what you've been doing and what's coming next and all that good stuff i feel like you and i have been ships in the night but there's like a ship in between us each time right, right? so whenever we would be passing each other there's a whole other <laughs> big ship that both of us know we're, we're yelling at people across the ship yeah that's friend, right that's a friend <laughs> exactly <laughs> well, Always never, one level never of separation yeah yeah <laughs> No, it's cool. I like your shirt. When I first looked at it, I was like, oh no, I need to, I need to adjust something. Like that. That's the it. move. That's kind of, that is the thing. In fact, when we first uh, made this shirt, a lot of people were like, I, I have to like squint to look at it. And our, our, one of our, uh, our directors was like, that's the point. Yeah. Like, take a stop and look at it. So that's cool. Yeah. I mean, I wish we, we had the opportunity to get a couple more of these out i have i have some here for my friends that i'm probably about six months behind in no. giving to them so <laughs> i know what that's like <laughs> i hear that yeah so what do you say you ready to get started yeah let's do it man all right man i'm gonna start where i start with everybody which is when you were growing up what did you think you were gonna do when you got older oh man um you know, I I don't know if I was really thinking about it. Uh, growing up, uh, my family was was a pretty big part of the of a of the church community, uh, but from from more of a musical angle. So we were playing like I, I grew up playing brass instruments from probably like six or seven years old. Somewhere around there, I had older brothers. We all played it, um, and you know we did that. So like all that I really kind of knew a lot of the time was music for a while and more classical music. Um, we had, I would play some drums and piano and stuff like that. But like the thing that I was taking up a majority of like my extracurricular time that wasn't like school sleeping or eating was music with like the church and stuff. Um, and I kind of, I kind of had a feeling that wasn't going to be like, I was like resenting piano lessons, even though now when I look back, I wish I didn't resent that, but that, I guess that's part of being older. Um, and so I didn't really have it, but what I, what I, I couldn't really, you know, I didn't really know exactly what I was like really passionate about back then. I think I was still pretty young. It's taken me a lot of years now to really look back and understand, oh, that there was passion there. You were doing this. Um, so I didn't really, I didn't really know, but I do know that I was playing a lot of video games and I wasn't just playing them. Um, I was like using the tools that came with them. So Blizzard uh, famously would release their tool sets with StarCraft yeah. and Warcraft. And th those were a big part of, of like my after school activities, I guess. Like I would go home, <coughs> make really crap projects in there, no idea what I'm doing, <laughs> um, but you know, just having fun. Cause I would go play these used custom map settings in StarCraft online and I'd be like, oh my gosh, they, they named these StarCraft units like Pokemon. I want to figure out how to do that. That's really cool. Uh, 
and so you know I was playing around with the editors and stuff like that um, but I didn't really know it wasn't until I actually saw that that was something that was possible uh, it's like I was in the dentist office I remember this pretty vividly <laughs> and uh, one of the magazines had a full sale ad in it and, uh... and I was like oh you can make video games you know and so that's that's kind of how that got started I thought I was going to go into digital media uh, back then, because I was um, making like, you remember forums and SIGs? Like, oh, yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a little bit dated now, right? On Reddit, we only get the little alien icon or whatever, but we used to get a whole space uh, for, for art. And I would just like, I just wanted to play with Photoshop. So I was using all the pre stock, really bad early 2000s Photoshop filters to create signatures for anybody that would take it from me <laughs> on, the, on this Warcraft 3 mod forum. <laughs> Um, I think only other one other person actually ever used it, and the cool thing is, like, I still stayed in touch with him uh, to this day. I saw him at GDC last time I was there, which was really cool. That is cool. So, yeah, just kind of stumbled into it. So, how old were you when you saw that ad? Do you know roughly? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, Danny's uh, collegiate career was coming in hot. I think I found that <laughs> out my uh, <laughs> my senior year. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I think it was like early on. Or, or end of junior year. And the, and the cool thing is I ended up having a, a friend in, there was only two people going to Full Sail from my high school. The other one went for film and he was in my, um, going back to music, he was in my piano class. Ah. So that was interesting. That's when we started kind of like talking about it. I was like, oh, you're going, we were not friends at all. We were sort of from different different poles mm-hmm. of, of, of the school. But um, yeah, then we ended up being roommates. So oh, wow. for the first six months or so, yeah, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, that worked crazy out. adventure down to Orlando. <laughs> yeah. What year was that? Was it like 07-ish? 04. 04, okay. 04. I, yeah, so I started in September 04 at Full Sail. And then the first thing I said to all my classmates, like, what game are you excited about? And I was like, World of Warcraft. And it comes out in two months, one week, and three hours. <laughs> yeah, I was just ready for it, you know? Which was, I think, November 2004. Um, so, yeah. So how did that impact your time at Full Sail <laughs> when World of Warcraft comes out when you're two months in? It, uh, <laughs> like, my experience or my actual time? <laughs> well, uh, your, your actual time. Because <laughs> yeah, I always yeah. tell people, I'm like, you're, when you're there, you, you're 40 hours of class, probably another 20 to 40 of homework, totally. and then there's the rest of your life. And then it sounds like that's what filled the rest of it. Yeah, I mean, you know, I didn't have, like, you don't really have a time for a job. I mean, some people did, right? Um, and so, like, you know, you'd get back from home around 4 I don't remember, what, four or five or six. It was a full-time job to go to that school. Yeah. And so that would be what, you know, we'd eat as quick as, and, you know, it's not like we had a lot of money to make a lot of, of nice dinners, right, uh, <laughs> during college. So get that food in quick, and then uh, me and Chris Barasa would, would start grinding away. Our other roommate was, like, a big City of Heroes fan, so he was always playing that while we were playing World of Warcraft. But we had a, we had a pretty MMO apartment, so that's what we were all kind of doing. Um, and that was just like in between that, you know, we, and the other game we would play a lot is Battlefield 2. Mm. I think that came out around that time with the commander. I think you're that right. Was Battlefield 2. Yeah, Oof. I think so. Yeah. Good times. Yeah, that yeah. was a, that was a good time to be in college too. Like that's a, you know, the, when we move away from the, the, the needing the full land, right. And then, and being able to kind of like impromptu group or with people somewhere else but mm-hmm. still get that you can get either vibe you want like that was a it was a, a good time for that yeah they gave us all laptops too well i guess we paid for them right so it's not like they gave them to us but and, we were all equipped with some some gaming laptops which was in good oh four did you still get the sager laptop or did you get another brand oh 
do you dude, remember what oh my gosh it's like i was in oh, one of the first the classes we got a brand called sager and it was it, it was a decently spec laptop but man by the time i was done that thing was like i'm out you have done yeah. all that, that we can do <laughs> Dude, I've never thought back to that. I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure some of the homies remember, uh, but but I don't remember actually. I remember the shape of it, and then eventually they st I started seeing the MacBooks come out um, for some of the for some of the people. I don't know if the game development curriculum ever got that, but no, they did not. Game design did for a while for most That's of it, it was, but yeah. Dev kept the the Meteor machines. We finally got to them to figure switch. That out. Yeah, <laughs> I can't remember. You, you'll, no, think of it. you'll think of it, you'll think of it, or like Diaz or somebody will come in and, and tell us what it was, so. Yeah, that's what I'm kind of hoping for, like, let's, let's check the chat, anybody got it? Yeah. Someone hit up Barasa, that guy has a memory, like, a vault. <laughs> that is something I do not have, like, I have a lot of stuff in there, but my recall is terrible, like, somebody needs to remind me of something and, and kind of spark that memory. Yeah. Um, yeah. Don't remember either, game overture. <laughs> nice. So I'm curious, uh, so as I went through, you know, I was like in one of the very first classes, and then what I would hear later was about your class, which was a, mm -hmm. a, like like a rock star class, or, or at least people around you guys, around that 2005-6 that like era. Six-month window, because yeah. like Rusty's group is sort of like the back end of the tail, I think, right. in that range, and then like, yeah, it's crazy when you think about it. I guess maybe we should explain it. Yeah, yeah, Go. Yeah. actually, I'd love to hear, like, who, who was in your actual class, and then kind of talk a little bit about your time and working together and you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, so... Um, a majority, so there was like two, about two or three people um, that like our classes merged. So in, in my original class, um, I, I, there's a couple, I think my original starting month, 13 people from that class like went all the way through that we stuck together. Because mm -hmm. at Full Sail, if you um, you can opt to do it, uh, if you just want to learn more, or if you don't like succeed in the way that the curriculum asks you to, you, you would do the class again. And um, so, but that means that other classes will catch up to you. And so that means you get to meet new people. And so a couple of these things happen, like great universal happenstances. And um, I ended up with a, a handful of people that I ended up becoming like best friends with and I'm still friends to this day. And some of those people are uh, Chris Barasa, who's now lead designing a project at Polyarch. Uh, Steve Brown, who's out uh, in the D.C., Virginia area. I think he's still working on, uh, like, supporting RuneScape and doing some new stuff there, which is super cool, and um, working on the edge. And then Jay Nobler, who's out in Philadelphia right now. Um, and these were – and then down the line, John Diaz came into our class, too, now who's doing a bunch, and, you know, we've been on his podcast and stuff like that. Yeah. And so that was just sort of our month. But the thing, the way that Full Sail, you know, there was a – during that period, around the time that – our month and a couple other nearby months like plus or minus one or two months because it's full sale works that way um you know one of the creative directors at midway studios at the time his name's harvey smith of like dishonored fame and even going all the way back to the og games um that he's he's worked on that man's touched everything uh you know him and another uh lead designer at that time i think his name's kent hudson you know, they came out to Full Sail and they, they had one mission. They wanted to find creative people like uh, uh, or technical people and help them become designers or more creative and pull out the creative stuff. So they were looking for people that were going to school for programming and that knew how to build the games. Um, and then they were looking to find like technical designers to like kind of 
like uh, sit on that line between high, I think I heard you even say it earlier like high level scripting but not actually going into the code but yeah. and you know high level script uh, and God bless their souls for doing that, man, because they came <laughs> and they, and, and I'm going to go list off a handful of the people that they, they pulled. You have Rusty Semsprat, who you've worked with a lot, right? Yeah. Who is probably not only the most kind human being and loving yep. person that I've ever met, but also one of the most incredibly talented uh, technical designers and developers that I've worked. It's been a long time since I've worked with him, but I know it hasn't gone downhill, nope. right? Like I know he's only getting better. So I <laughs> agree with you. I imagine he's, he's killing it right now. And I think he, actually just went to arcane is he that is true? yeah he's working with harvey yeah <laughs> yeah so right back right yep. um and then uh another person that was in rusty's class who i met through that uh and because we all went to midway that's like kind of the story here is harvey brought a lot of us up here so another one was doug burry who's now working at polyarch uh now too as a game designer and lost two is his first game with us uh, but you know he worked at Midway with us, and then um, then there's Josh Hamrick, who was another Midway or another Midway alum, but also a Full Sail alum, who was in that range window. I think he was a month behind me. Okay, or, uh, a month. Like he graduated a month before me, is what I'm trying to oh, say. Oh, got two you. Months okay. Or two. Yeah. Within that range, um, and uh, he worked at uh, at Midway, and then there's another, and now Josh. You know, Josh went on to do the sandbox gameplay design for for Halo Reach, and then all the guns on Destiny, and now he's doing this even newer thing that's super cool. And so, you know, he's got a great presence online, and obviously, hugely talented game designer. I've, I've learned a lot from working with him. Uh, he was also one of the guys that referred me into Bungie, right? So these connections that we made at Midway um, helped us down the line. There's still even more people. There's DJ Jones, uh, who worked with me on Red Dead, right? And uh, now he's at uh, Square Enix. I think the last game he worked on was the Avengers Square Enix game. Um, he was also in that range. I'm going to probably forget someone. There was a sound designer named Joe Kincaid who was working with us from Full Sail, but he was at Midway. So at Midway, we just had all of these Full Sailers, and it was all of our first games. But there was also all this other talent. Um, and this was like Midway's, you know, this was a new studio for Midway at the time in Austin, Texas. Um, you know, one of the programmers there, his name is Brian Sharp. And Brian Sharp is an amazing, I call him a renaissance man, because I don't think there's anything he can't do when he puts his mind to it. Um, and, you know, after he left Midway, he went to Bungie. And so then we crossed paths again at Bungie and like he's doing killer things there. And then after that, he went on and created Medium for, you know, the thing that became Medium at, at Facebook and, you know, we sold that off to Adobe and stuff. So like, uh, you know, another guy that was in Midway with us with his name's Mike Jones became a really close friend to me. He just recently, he was the EP for Marvel Games when they started their new thing up. And so it was just like, like Midway was this like little, we were all young and naive and didn't really know what we were doing, but there were so many of us all in one place that have now uh, have gone out and spread out to the rest of the country and to these other game studios. But I'll always like kind of cherish that, even though like the end of that experience was pretty bloody. Um, that those connections and those relationships that I made while I was at Midway have just sort of continued to, um, you know, lift up my career and I'm able to help lift up theirs. And, you know, that's the one thing I think Full Sail told us that was like really important was like, and I think I just heard it said even better recently in a, in a, in a, in a podcast where it was like, you know, on your way up, make sure you're nice to everyone because you're probably going to see them on your way back down. And right. It's like, yeah. And it's just like, Ooh, just like make sure you're supporting everyone around you as long as you can. Cause you're going to need that at some point. And it's not, yeah. that's not just the reason, but it's like, if we all do that, it keeps it really reciprocal, you know, and we can just like keep going. Yeah. I, that's something I talk a lot about on here because networking is such an important piece in this industry. Just, across the board 
And a lot of it, and I always tell people, they're like, well, I don't know how to network. I don't know how to meet people or whatever. I'm like, you're just, don't even think about that stuff. Just go make connections, try to make a new friend, right? Like mm-hmm. if you're just getting to know somebody and talking to them, you know, about you and them. And then that's where connections start. That's all you have to do. Like that's, that's the foundation of all of it. Yeah, man, I've got, I've got a really applicable story for that. Uh, that's recently helping that, that recently happened to my life pre pandemic, but I used what you just said, uh, to sort of learn about a new industry, right? A new community. And I like what you said, just like about going out and hanging out because, um, there was a point where I started getting more into music again. There's the full circle, left music, did games, now coming back to music. And I really wanted to understand what that meant in, you know, like, how do I meet people? How do I, you know, I'm a game developer. How do I become, you know, like help throw shows and become a DJ? Like, what does that even mean? Who are those people? What is that? And then I just started thinking about it. And I was like, well, you know, you just really became friends with a bunch of people in the game industry as you were learning about it. And you had shared, you had shared things, right? And like things that you would just hang out and talk about. You play Battlefield 2 together, you play WoW together. And then that's sort of, you know, down the line, that's the person that ended up referring you to Rockstar. So more recently, I just kind of said, I guess this was like probably two or three years ago, but um, that I was like, okay, I'm going to apply my networking skills from the game industry to the music industry. Like, I'm just going to like, it's this, you know, like, let me just put myself in that situation now and get to know people. Yeah. And then I think going back to what you just said, the, the thing there that, that I found now looking back on it, it was just the community, being part of the community. I wasn't going into the community to ask people for things. I was just looking to be a part of it. And sometimes that means contributing. And sometimes that means taking from it after you've contributed and stuff. Yeah. But just being around it and and, and being a part of it and, and surrounding yourself with those types of people that you relate to within that community, whether it's the music industry or the games industry or the film industry or the, you know, the book industry, I think that's it's really coming down to like immersing yourself in that community and opportunities will come if it's really a good fit. Yeah. I want to add one thing on top of that, because like what you're talking about is exactly right. I think it works in every industry, every walk of life. Another thing I always tell people, and I do this for myself, is you have to think about where you are and where you want to be. And then are the people that you're closest to helping you in any way to get toward that, right? So I'm always like, who who are the five? I, I always call it my five. That each of them has some personality trait or skill or something that I admire and I just want to learn from. And so I just I just try to talk to them and get to know them and 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 get that, you know, that camaraderie so that I can be a better person or at least move toward the thing that I want to develop and they can help me do that. Yeah, you nailed it. Um, I heard this thing the other day that was like, you are who your five closest, the people you're around five times, like the most, the five people you're around the most, excuse me, are is sort of a reflection of who you are. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's true for me too. Like, I, I feel like I'm very much use people that I'm around as, as a, uh, reflection like uh, for me personally if i'm trying to figure out how i feel <laughs> usually people can figure that out by themselves but sometimes it for me it's like sort of bouncing it off people that i trust and respect and if i didn't have people around me that i trusted and respected then that would really be setting myself up for failure and so i put a lot of energy into making sure that the people i'm around are the ones that i do want to learn from okay this person has much better uh, ability to handle things under stress and to be very logical about something. Um, and this person is, and, and so like, I like that when I'm in those ty- I need those types of situations, yep. you know, this person is very nurturing and all that, you know what I mean? And this person, you know, like, so you can find those people. And like, if you just surround yourselves with people like that, you will 
like you said, absorb. And I, and I think that's like some of the best stuff we can do for self-growth, you know? Yeah. And you can, about it. you can go with to each of those five people with the same problem and get an entirely different perspective that comes together in you being like, actually out of all the information I received, it creates a solution for me that, that I now feel is best to move forward from. And that, that's just like such a wild experience when you, when you have that. Yeah. I think you just, I was like, as you're saying that, I was like, huh, that's kind of like game design yeah, <laughs> like right? in the way of taking a bunch of different ideas from different people and then saying, okay, how do I want to put this together so that it'll be the best experience. And instead of doing it for other players, you're kind of doing it for yourself. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I hadn't thought about it that way. I love that. That's good. Yeah. Interesting. I'm going to keep that now. I got to write that down. <laughs> so before we jump too far, I want to talk a little bit more about your time at full sale. As you're, as you're like getting toward the end of your, your time and you're doing your final project, I love to hear about the final project because I think that is the biggest learning experience probably I've ever had, especially when it comes to this industry. Yeah. So what was yours like? How big was your team? What did you guys work on? Okay. I think our team uh, was five or six people, four or five, and it wasn't with my closest friends and my roommates. Um, I was, we, we broke off. I don't, um, uh, because during, during college, even though I was hanging out with these guys, you know, and playing a lot of, uh, wow. And, and OG Dota for those, <laughs> that remember those days. Uh, I, I had another group of friends that, that I would play, uh, magic, the gathering and fighting games with. And, um, so there was four or five of us that, that had an idea we pitched two games and one of them was a fighting game and the other one was this sort of like weird version of angry board angry birds before it was angry birds um like first person angry birds i think if i'm like recalling it back <laughs> uh but what ended up happening was we we got a uh the fighting game was chosen and the, and the spin on it was hey the fighters are not gonna move you're gonna stand still so basically gonna fire spells at each other and so that's when the that's where the magic the gathering came in right there was five uh, mages there was a red a blue a yellow a black a green and uh the way the game worked was you we built it for the arcade because they had that arcade in the full sale lobby that you could put games on so we right. knew what we were targeting and basically it was sort of like um look like low medium high spells so you would you'd throw a spell high medium or low and then you'd have on the out the bottom three a low medium and high shield so you would basically have to mirror what the other person was throwing and then try to get your spells in um, and then everyone had a super and uh it was it was cool um, if you ask chris barasa he's horribly unbalanced um and <laughs> the black mage is overpowered uh he used health but his spells did more damage and so it was like there's you know interesting stuff like that um but it was a really cool experience uh that's where i started to find that i had a knack for doing sort of like ui uh and that i enjoyed doing it and displaying information to players and um so i did a lot of that on that game and more the input stuff and it was a super cool experience um did you ask what i learned on it too <laughs> or just describe the game i mean i did not but i always want to know that so <laughs> mm. Yeah, I don't like it was, you know, it kind of went like a pretty smooth project, I think, in general. Um, I think that gave me the ability to understand that I could get in front of people and talk during the presentation. I hadn't really done a lot of public speaking. Going back to my church history, I guess I didn't think about that, that I had done a lot of like, you know, like 
singing with a group or playing music mm-hmm. or doing stuff like that. And but um, I remember getting up there and, and explaining the game to the crowd of people and trying to explain to them what UI is and why we did it this way and doing stuff. And I was just like, wow, like that actually, you know, like and getting engagement from the crowd in terms of them listening and like me making a joke and laughing. I was just sort of like, oh wow, okay, like I actually can can kind of do this right like i think it it that's i have a little bit of trouble like even though when i'm succeeding thinking that i'm still not going to actually succeed or do that right i guess you know some variation if not imposter syndrome which isn't as big now but you know has been for a while um and so that was like a big that i think that part was big but i don't think i necessarily learned too much about the actual process of game development except that you know as long as you're doing it with people that you like and trust and respect like because you're collaborating with them and so that kind of like set that tone pretty pretty quickly too interesting that's a that's a great i don't hear that very often coming out of there because i think most people end up hating each other by the time the project yeah, is over. Yeah, yeah, so totally. it was like that's a super high stress you know intense first time really like we're all responsible for this thing and it's multi-month and like what what are we going to do and something broke and it was your fault and man like that's to come out feeling like that is quite an achievement i would say <laughs> yeah there were definitely some teams that were having those struggles and so that that helped me on like see the blessings that we had and the way that, that, that we were interacting we definitely had our struggles you know like our day-to-day stuff but um we were mostly positive so it was good that's great and so were you uh at what point of uh, how close were you to graduation when Harvey's team came there to to see you guys? Yeah, so I specifically they came. I remember they they went to Josh Hamrick's final presentation. Okay. Um, and so I think if I remember correctly, I interviewed with them or did a talk with them because uh, Kat uh, Coble hit me up. Rob Coble, our career advisor at that time. The best. Yeah. It's a G. What a G. We're so fortunate to know someone like that. Like right. Not, not, not because of his connections, but just like how he is as a human. You yeah. Know? Like just like, such oh a good my dude. Gosh. Going back to surrounding yourself with people that will help you grow. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think I talked to them that that month that they were there. And then my final project was, I think, the next month, the next two months or something like that. So they didn't come to it. And they gave me, we had a quick chat and I never actually heard anything back. And I remember like very close to our presentation, I like, this is a good lesson too. I was like, let me just reach out. Let me just say, hey, that was nice, interested if anything pops up. And, you know, because I did that, I he forwarded an email to the HR at the time and said, hey, we think Danny has potential. We'd like to bring him out for an interview. And that was like the most, that was the quickest like turnaround from when people say, hey, don't be afraid to reach out and poke the person that you talk to, to like, oh, actually that just got me my job and sent me on my career. I love it. Uh, you know, the interview. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, I was like, okay, that's what, that's, that's what school is for. They teach you to do this and then you got, you got to do it. Right. I mean, that's kind of full sale. It's like, you'll get what you put into it, but if you expect that you go there, um, and that they're going to kind of force it, it's yeah. not going to happen. At least when I was there. Um, so I don't know what it's like now, but I imagine that's kind of like schooling in general. Right. Yeah, and and I think that the that kind of philosophy I don't think is going to change, right? Like the they when they were there, they met dozens of people, maybe hundreds, right? And keeping like obviously some people are going to stand out. They're going to come out knowing, hey, I want to make sure that we see this guy, this guy, that guy, whatever. But 
for everyone to like everyone that's a potentially good candidate for them to just remember everyone. I know I wouldn't. So, yeah, so that reach out moment is great because then one yeah. that shows initiative, right? Then they can mm -hmm. go back and look at your stuff and get a reminder of who you were. And they're like, Oh yeah. Like we actually do have something. Let's, let's, uh, let's do that. Because even if they spent five minutes with you, it's five more minutes than every other application they've received. So it's, it's, yep. it's just super valuable to, to cash in on that, on that meeting and make sure that they remember who you are. Totally. Yeah. Love that. Very powerful. But you don't want it to be blind. I think if I got blind to things, it's really just when you, once you've been able to establish a connection and then you yeah. know, respond back, I think it's powerful. Yeah. They're blind. So that's, at Polyarch, we've sent some blind emails and that has resulted in good things. So, you know, you, you never know. Sure. <laughs> you never yeah. know. Like yeah. so, sometimes yeah. that stuff can work. I'm much more of a like, you know, let's build on a connection type person. But, uh, mm -hmm. but you, Same. there's a lot of other tactics, I suppose. I just know what works mm -hmm. for me and what I, what I recommend. That's all we can do, man. <laughs> so, so you're, were you actually graduated yet when you went and had the interview or are you still in school? Dude. I was still in school. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I had the job before, I, like three <laughs> weeks before I graduated, I think, or something like that. I didn't actually go to the graduation because I was busy moving to Austin. Um, but I think that was the window. It was like, do final project in August, like do the final project at the beginning of August. Somewhere in the window of like end of August, September, I went to, down to Austin where I knew nobody at all, no family, no nothing. Um, and it was like, okay, I guess this is it. Let's go. So then were you the first of that group of people to head that way? No, Rusty, Doug, Josh. I think there was already a handful of Full Sail people already there by the time, the time okay. I got there and a couple after me. Um, cool. I think DJ, DJ and I sort of started on the same day, if I remember correctly, somewhere within the same range. And then Diaz came on a little bit later. Uh, yeah. What a crew. I mean... And at that point, you had no idea the potential of that, like the actual potential of that crew, what they were going to become. No. Like that's, Josh that and I is were like book. the sandbox designers <laughs> along with John Wisniewski on Destiny. <laughs> like, what? what? I love it. Yeah, I love it. Crazy world. That was definitely the golden years of the Full Sail Game Dev program. <laughs> so, so A little you... bit down the line, we got Barton, too, uh, who's now working at Polyarch. But I don't know where he came within that window, but he was sort of... And Kevin Yanes, I was also sort of... One of those. Yeah, he was in that area too. Was was Ryan Parody in that group with you guys too? Do you know Ryan? I met Ryan. Yeah, I shipped Reddit with Ryan. Oh wow. Um, I didn't meet. So here's how I met Ryan. Ryan was driving from Florida. He would have been in that in that window, I think, because I think he was in Josh Hamrick's class. Okay. Um, and he'll kill me if I didn't say him earlier. But uh, he was driving across country to go to Rockstar San Diego, and um. I was friend like at the time Josh and his wife Renee and I were always hanging out. I think we were even going to church together at that time. Uh, and uh, Ryan Parody swung by and stayed with Josh on his on his cross trip. And so, uh, if you want a timestamp, this is when Gears of War first came out. Okay. Because the three of like I brought my TV and my Xbox over from my apartment, <laughs> and we were all just over there playing Gears at Hamrick's house. Uh, I think there were gummy bears, Sour Patch Kids, M&Ms, you name it, at that time, because I don't even know if I was 21 yet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was it. You got to hit the candy dish hard. <laughs> Man, that's also uh, mind-blowing. Under 21, starting a career in this industry, that's, uh, that's, that's yeah. good times.
That like how many twenty one year olds know what they're really going to do these days? It, it seems like there's not many. So no, I mean because it's that now, and that's full sale, right? Because they because you go through two, you you're done in two years, yeah, like twenty two months or whatever. So yeah. like I, I started right at eighteen. My birthday's in August, like August seventh, right? So I turned eighteen, and then went. Man, yeah, yeah. I was the program didn't exist until I was uh, a little older. I think it was twenty one, twenty two, something like that when. When the game design program started so what year did you what year did you attend full sale i went in late 99 and graduated no one got it okay it was you literally like the first, first or second class. class yeah it was it was very early so. well you know i keep running into like not keep running but like there was a i ran into one of my good friends now from bungie who worked on the guns like halo 2 he was like this hard surface like made all the guns that were loving and then on destiny he was a hard surface lead Come to find out, his name's Tom Doyle. Come to find out, he was one of the first, like, he went to Full Sail in around 99 or 2000 as well. That's not a game. I think it was more an art. Huh. Um, and now he has his own, he runs his own VR game company, too, and they just released a game with Sony. So it's like a small world how what? all this stuff works. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah, there's, I, when I got to Insomniac, I met a grad in, in our art department. We work together now in environment art, and he's an environment artist, and he graduated not long after I did. And so he's been doing it forever. And I like had no idea, never met him. No one had introduced us. So it's just, there's so many, there's so many out there, but I'm yeah. curious. I'm curious if you've had this same thing happen where anywhere you go, there's a little family of full cell grads. And it's like this little community that just like brings you in. And it's like, now you got people and that happened everywhere I've worked. That's happened to me. And I love it. Yeah. I, Maybe this was like bound to happen because pretty much every job I've gotten was through someone that I've <laughs> known or worked with through that. Like when I was at Midway, Barossa, my roommate at Filsa was the one that referred me to Rockstar. And then when I was at Rockstar, Josh Hamrick was the one that referred me to Bungie. Uh, and then uh, Polyarch, I just started hiring all of my full set friends. <laughs> That's not not just like that. Obviously, we like interview <laughs> and it's a team decision. But like when you're looking for the certain types of people and um, some of them, I you know, aren't on the design team. That's why I kind of said I hired because they're on the design team. But um, we actually have a lot now at Polyarch. There's like, there's me, Barton, Doug. Um, there's an artist. Uh, I should know the artist. I think is he joined. And then um, I'm gonna miss people. Brasa, obviously. So there's like four of us, four or five of us already. And you know, it's like a 30 person studio. But um, yeah, I do. You, the weird thing though was at Bungie, it was more DigiPen. And there were some full sale people around, but we were like in DigiPen's turf. And that's when I realized that while I was at full sale and I thought that, you know, like I'm a sports person, I like sports. I like the kind of camaraderie and like cheering for a team, but also like the strategic um, elements of sports. But um, I, you know, like I wanted a collegiate sport team, but we don't want that rivalry, right? And uh, I was just always assigned DigiPen to it when I was at full sale. I was like, DigiPen's are rivals. Right. <laughs> <laughs> These are our rivals, all the way on the other side of the corner of the country. I love Down it. with DigiPen, and then I get to Bungie, and there's a lot of DigiPen people. And I also was like, "Hey, do you guys know about Pulsar?" They're like, "No, nah, we never even heard of it." And I'm just oh. like, ah. <laughs> "Did they know that?" And they're not, and they're just like fucking with me now. But like, <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, so Bungie had a lot more DigiPen. But if you find someone that went to Pulsar, they're like, "Yep." There we go. And so it's it's definitely interesting. I love it. I, th I feel like that has been game development in general, which has been whenever I've gone to a new studio in a new city like Austin or San Diego or Seattle, 
my family's originally from Maryland, so all of those places not close to Maryland. Right. Uh, you know, I would instantly get like homies. Like I'd find people that I'm connected to. Okay, these people like to play magic. These people are down to play basketball. Uh, these people play Dota. You know, and then these people like to go out at night and listen to music. Right. And like you can find all of that within a game development studio. And then also among all of that, right, you have very similar creative outlets. And so, um, you know, whether it's full sale or not, I do think game development in general is a more, you know, because you're so collaborative, you can get to a new city and just have, you know, friends from all different little, little, another little family, right? Another little community um, while your family's across country. So I love that part about it. We all have geek hobbits, hobbits, hobbies, (laughs) geek hobbits. What if we had a bunch of little hobbits? That's something different, but uh, yeah, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> yeah, the same like people in our industry like the same kind of things a lot. So that's mm-hmm. that's been that's been really nice. I agree with that. So mm-hmm. executives in the chat asked, "What uh, what part of Maryland are you from?" Uh, I was born in PG County, like Bowie, Maryland, but most of my life I was in Crofton, so Anne Arundel County. Um, and my dad now lives in like the Crownsville area. So like closest to Annapolis is like the major out of it. But you know, like where I was living, it was like 15 minutes north to Baltimore, south of DC, uh, east to Annapolis. Interesting. You can get to West Virginia West, but I just didn't go there too much. So you never looked at Bethesda, huh? That was, uh, in your well, neck of the woods, I, right? Here, this is go. Here's the fun fact. I was born in Bethesda at Walter Reed Hospital. Really? <laughs> That's <Yeah>. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, you know, going back to Rob Coble, you know, I, I didn't, like, again, we're babies. We don't know anything. 18 years old. I mean, you're supposed to know stuff, but not my generation. Um, and, uh, and, and I just, like, in my mind, I was like, okay, I'm, like, after full sale, I'm just, I'm just going to go back to Maryland. And, I'll, like, there's a lot of game jobs up there. And, you know, when I got that 8.30 in the morning, which is way early for me, especially at my wow, during my wow, my right. wow phase, <laughs> I think at that time we were in Black Rock Mountain, so you know those raids go on for a while. Um, I, I, like, picked up the call, and it was Rob, and, he, and Rob Coble, and he was just like, hey, you know, I've got this opportunity in Austin, Texas. And the beauty of it is I just didn't even hesitate. I was like, yes, let's go talk to him. But, you know, like, look, I thought I was just going to go back to Maryland because there was, you know, there was this whole part, this whole, like, like Firaxis and Day One Studios. I, what, I can't think of the name of the town, but it's just a little northwest of Baltimore. Um, it's a suburb of Baltimore, and I didn't I had no idea. Like the people that made Mechasol, and then Big Huge Games was out there. Um, and so I was just like, wow, there's a whole nugget. And Sid Mayer, who is like uh, the person that I look up to a lot in terms of game design and the way that he talks about it, uh, was there, you know? So I was just like, oh, I'll figure it out in Maryland. I'm really thankful it didn't because. Uh, I've learned so much from traveling around the country and living in different places and, and immersing myself in different cultures. Uh, but yeah, I thought, I thought that's where I was going to go, you know, but that, cause like there was a couple other, Bethesda wasn't Zenimax yet right. at that time. Um, yeah, but I didn't think I could get a job at Bethesda at that point. The Morrowind was one of my favorite, my first games, like first, like Xbox Bethesda console games. I remember. Sweet. Oh man, we got a we got a big question in the chat about establishing your own game company, but we'll we'll get to that one when we get further down the line. But that's a, you can't drop it yet. Yeah, that's a big that's a big question. Yeah. <laughs> one we will definitely get to. Um, so all right, so well, let's talk about your time at Midway. Um, 
So you got there. When you came on, did you know that Black Sight was what you were going to work on as you arrived there? Or and and if if and when you got there, what point in development was that in? Well, Black Sight had a short development cycle. <laughs> um, when I got there, I didn't know what I was going to be working on. I think I knew it was something to do with Area 51, which just to me was like, oh, yeah, dude, I played that that stand-up arcade shooter all the time. Right. right. Been to lots of skate rinks, been to lots of Chuck E. Cheese's. Um, <laughs> and then, tangent, but I just saw, like, a really interesting meme on Chuck E. Cheese. I'm not going to go into it, but, like... Uh, anyways, um, <laughs> wait, now, now you have to, <laughs> <laughs> it was just like, why do you go to, I, I, cause I couldn't think of exactly what it was, but it was just something along the lines, like, Hey, come to this rat playhouse and eat their pee, their pizza, this rat's pizza while they dance in front of you and little kids gamble all around. It was just something along those spirits that I was just like, that's our childhood uh, you're was, describing. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like I wanted those gold coins. Now yeah. we just do it. Now we just give the kids the gold coins on the. Let me not get our. Let me not get us into trouble. <laughs> on that note, I will open up the second beer. Nice. Um, That's the way to do you it. You will have to re remind me of the question we were talking about. I did not know. I remember it was midway. Um, yeah, I was just asking about Black Sight. Kind of what what phase was it in, and and what did you get to do on it? Because you know, what I, some people when you get hired as a new employee, you're generally or as an entry level, you're generally not at the very beginning of something. You're probably already in production. They need your scripting chops. They need you to help finish something. Was that yeah. the scenario for you in this case? Um, I believe they were getting ready. I don't know if it was an E3 demo or a Midway corporate demo. Um, when I got there, it was pretty early on. I think that it was conceptual. Oh, Honestly, wow. at this point, at this point, I, at this point in my career, I don't even think I really understood what cycles of development were. I don't even think I realized it after Midway either because it was so short. Um, by the time I got there, they had the demo level. You know, like if if for I don't remember where we were, but for lack of a better word, we're basically working on an E3 demo. Gotcha. Um, they were starting to build that. I don't know if it was for E3 or not. I can't remember. Um, and it's super interesting. I brought up DJ Jones earlier, and us kind of starting at the same time. And um, you know, we were just we were. There were other full sailor designers and stuff, so they kind of understood, but they didn't really have spots for people. And so we were working on this level, and there was basically, I still remember it now, there's a scene where an alien shops, like flies into a strip mall, and it blows up. Um, and in the shipping game, one of the artists put a bullet burger in there, which was like, my, my older brother loves that. <laughs> just like was playing my first game. He's like, it says bullet burger. Um, but like well, me and DJ were working on this scene and um, I think it was either Harvey or someone was like, hey, we have two design positions. One is to work on the combatant AI behavior and the other is to do more of the cinematic scripting. If people have worked in Unreal, it's like matinee or sequencer. It's now called an Unreal 4. Um, and basically, yeah, cinematic scripting is what I would call it. And mm -hmm. for me, you know, going back to Warcraft 3, the, you know, what I was doing in Warcraft 3 wasn't scripting. I was doing like little canned cutscenes. I was making home movies basically in the Warcraft 3 engine. Nice. For lack of a better <laughs> word. Um, and I always found this really precious that like when I got into Midway, that was sort of what my first job was, was becoming a cinematic scripter. Um, and you know for those that don't really know what that means that means making sure all the actors and the characters are in the right place and the camera's there and then by the time it fades in people are already starting to walk you don't see them start to walk in engine you know, right like live yeah, game in engine, yeah. in engine live game so this is all real time 
you know, we've got to make sure the AI gets to that point and grabs the door handle at exactly right and opens it up because if he gets to a different point, he's going to be completely off. That was basically my job at Midway was making sure the squad members were always lining up to the doors. That's just what it felt like. It wasn't it, but like, <laughs> I just felt like I was always 95% of my time was trying to get the squad member to line up with the door yep. so he would open it properly. Dude, um, I, I get it. Like, <laughs> it was funny. Throughout the, the early part of my career, there was cinematics, right, which were pre-rendered, you know, beautiful things that people way more talented than me would make. And then there were what we always called IGCs, in-game cinematics, right, which was, mm -hmm. what can a designer make? You know, we've got a story to tell. What can a designer do? And I'm like, yeah. well, let's see what we can do, you know, <laughs> and it was always yeah. a struggle. But. <laughs> yep, no, it is, and I've, I've learned a lot about the things that make that harder and better. Uh, I guess like the, you know, at that time, maybe two years after Black Side shipped, or a year after or whatever, Half Life Two came out, which was like, of like cinematics, like in-game cinematics, right? Like they just nailed it. I think they kind of just like blew open the door on what was possible with Half Life Two. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, oh wow, this is like a real thing. Um, so yeah, it's kind of just what I stuck with. It turned out to be really, really awesome for me uh, because it kicked off my like multidiscipline sort of shepherding skill set that I still use this day as a designer, right? Like I, you know, when you're doing cinematic scripting, you got to talk to the animator, and then when you're done with that, you got to talk to the effects artist, and then you got to talk to the audio, right? And you got to talk to the producer, and then you got to go into Harvey Smith's office, and he asks you why that prop isn't there for the 15th time that he's asked you to like, <laughs> put in there, right? <laughs> in the scene. And so, like, you know, things like that. You got to figure out how to make a truck feel like it's moving, even though it's in place, right? So the player thinks it's moving. Uh, stuff stuff like that. Um, so I took to it really well. I enjoyed it. Um, and then, uh, yeah, then I went on to do admission scripting, uh, basically, at, at, at Rockstar. Yeah, well, let's talk about that. So uh, uh, your, your studio in Midway closed down. Is that right? If I remember that right? Yeah, you know, it had a, it had a, it had a rocky path. Yeah. Um, it, it I served, that was my first job in the industry, um, and I witnessed two layoffs, two rounds of layoffs, unfortunately. Um, the first round was after Black Sight, I think, and then the second round was a bigger one where, you know, we were a, a studio of 200 or 300, and I feel like 140 people were gone or something oh, like that. There was man. only like 30 of us left or 40 or something. Um, and so we were sort of talking about two pro at the time midway had two projects and you know still super talented people in fact uh you know one hamrick was still there and uh on the other team rusty was still there so you know i'm still around people i trust right, right. people that are like kind of so i'm feeling a little bit comfortable but unfortunately like uh my roommates got let go so i got i was out at a concert oh. in austin and i got a phone call from my boss at the time and he's like hey don't go into the office tomorrow and I like got into my car with and with my friend and I was just like, uh, what's going on? And I thought about it and you know, I got pretty emotional because oh, I had to go man. home to my roommates and be like, guys, did you get this call? And they're like, No. And I was like, here's what's gonna happen, oh, you know. Man. So it's like it was brutal. Um and so that didn't really like sit with me well. Not that I was mature enough to understand that that wasn't sitting with me well. But a couple of months down, like maybe two or three months after that, uh, I remember talking to Barasa, who's still my friend, Chris, and we were talking about it. And I was like, man, I kind of just see the blood on the walls. Uh, it feels, this doesn't feel right. Like, and he had just started working at a midnight club at Rockstar. And I was like, how is it over there? And 
you know, then, then that whole process started. And I, there was a couple of people at Midway at the time after all that I'd been through, and they'd give me, you know, I got pulled into a room at one point, and they're like, hey, because you're here, we need to pay you more because anyone that's left here still needs to be at least this level or higher. <laughs> uh, which, you know, like, I'm very thankful, very thankful that they thought of me that way and considered me at that skill level, and I appreciate it, um, you know. But at the time, you know, you just look at that, you're like, well, this isn't giving me confidence in wanting to stay here, even though I, you know, like, I trust you, but, um, or I trust your your intention with this. Like, you want me to be here because you believe in me, right? Not that you're just like, I'm going to do this, but that just felt, it just felt weird. But that's like kind of corporate America, right? Here's the policy. We got to hit to it or else you can sue us. Um, and so I just made the decision to, to, to bounce out. And I remember getting a comment um, from someone at the time when I told them I was leaving to go to Rockstar and they were like, oh, you're going to go work on some cowboy game, uh, which turned out to be a very good decision. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> but like I said, be nice to the people that on your way up, man, because like you know, on your way down, you're going to see it. And some of that stuff sticks with people, uh, even though you might not think it does. So Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, so you're uh, moving over to Rockstar. Was that because uh, did, was it your connection with DJ Jones? Was he, he was already there, or like what? What kind of brought that about? It's true. DJ came over there too. Yeah. So we all kind of rolled together, rolled deep once he got us together. Um, no, that was Chris Barassa, okay. my roommate at the time. Yeah. Um, who you probably have a great conversation on here at some point with. Um, I'll make that happen. Yeah. He. Um, he, you know, he just referred me Rockstar. You, you want, you know, you get your foot in the door, you get a referral, but you still have to do the work, right? Like that's just like, hey, this person vouches, like you know, and the resume matches up. Um, it was a very technical interview, I must say. In fact, at Rockstar, once I got there, they asked me to. T- <laughs> it's funny now. Sorry, I laugh about it, but they asked me to draw a switch statement up on the whiteboard. And I, they had to help me through it because, you know, I was working in Blueprint. <laughs> and right? it's been a while since I had been actually programming at Full Sail, right? Yeah. So, like, I'll never forget. I think it was default. I forgot the default case. You know, like, well, what's the case that when everything go through? And it's like, oh, you put the default there. Um, and I remember <sighs> that. But, uh, you know, like, it was it was good. It was a more of a scripting. They were also looking for technical designers, right? Um, you know, this was still a, probably a new position. I, you know, this is still new into the because designers were like, this was this hybrid role wasn't really a big part of the earlier generations. It was coming more now, I think, because um, just like you were just a developer back then, you both designed and programmed. I think as they started getting away, like more scripting languages became more pre- prevalent, and like hardcore coding went this way. I think they needed to kind of find that middle ground. Uh, but yeah, that was uh, I did you know like. I just knew I was going to work at Rockstar, or I was interviewing at Rockstar San Diego. I didn't really know much about the company. I knew Grand Theft Auto. I knew San Diego was tight. I had an aunt out there, like in South San Diego. First time moving somewhere where I knew someone, so it wasn't that, but like two friends, my my roommates at, at San Diego, once I got that job, were two guys from my full sale class that I mentioned, Jay Nobler, who's in Philadelphia, and then and then Chris Barassa. And so it was just like, nice. okay, like let's let's figure this out. Uh, you know, that project had its own things, but, uh, I learned a ton working on that game. Yeah. I want, I want to talk about that a little bit. Um, so there was quite a few of you guys that ended up at rockstar working on red dead redemption, which was definitely my game of the year at the time, but also one of my favorite games of all time. Like that, like that, that was a pinnacle open world experience to me. Like it, it just really resonated with me. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Um, 
So yeah, they killed that immersion. Yeah, Rockstar is just the top of immersion. I yeah, don't know better company. It was it, like yeah. no matter not where you looked, there was detail, right? Like there was some uh-huh. cool piece that was like, oh, I, that's not anywhere else in this world. Like it was, it was just very well, well done, but also thought about. Where you know, like it, there was a lot of a thought that went into kind of how everything happened. I remember like going into like this one spot, and there was this this little movie playing on a screen on repeat. And I'm just like, 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 that's just this cool little, like, this doesn't matter. No, a lot of people may never even see this, but it's just this, mm-hmm. these cool little details that like really made it feel like a true living world. And that yeah. was, that was the thing that was the first, like, oh, these people have lives, you know, like th- this is a place that I'm kind of a part of at the moment. And that's, it just really resonated with me. So like, I, so I'm always curious when you're working on that, what, what was kind of the mantra? What was like, like, what was your thought process as you were making something for this game? Yeah. I mean, I, like there, uh, Rockstar was like, Red Dead was split up into two different, like pretty gr- two different distinct groups of designers. There was a little bit of overlap, but one was like the open world ambience and mm-hmm. the, and the things that you would encounter, um, outside of the missions, and then there was the missions, yeah. right, and the story. And I was on the missions and the story side of things. Um, so, you know, it was the first time I had seen any game like this be made because I was working on Blacksite, which was a first-person shooter, right? Yeah. Corridors, level, level streaming volumes, let's go, right? Like, close the door, especially with that AI. Go reach open the door, stream the level. Like, that was my life. Yep. Uh, and so then you get to Red Dead and it's all open. So... Um, you know, one of the things I remember vividly now, and I think it's a little bit more happenstance now that open world games are everywhere, but like just the like, I remember seeing the debug draw for the ambient scanner that would scan over all of the terrain. And then based off of values designers put in and the time of day and what area it is, it would spawn an encounter or it'd spawn like a random person that would run up to the player. Um, and so like just seeing that there's this way of thinking with making games at, at this level of scale, it's not like, hey, I'm going to bring you down this corridor and then this thing's going to happen and then the glass is going to break and then you can go through it, you know, like basically like COD now, right? Yeah. Like what that, the way that works. Um, it was cool to see the open world. And so I was, um, as a designer making missions for it, I had to take into, uh, had to take that into account. Um, but usually I had like a little bit of a vacuum, right? Because once you got into a mission, they would shut off all the ambience. Yep. Um, and so my day to day was more like pacing, um, and you know, getting the, getting the gun, gun encounters feeling tight. I never really like, I, I came onto the project with a year and a half left, which was given how much I was, you know, how hard I was working. Um, that was plenty of time to, to, to make an impact and, and do a bunch of stuff on the missions and, um, that kind of thing. But yeah, it was just really I didn't really immerse myself in cowboy movies or anything like that. Cause like you were asking earlier where the project was at, they already had like, they knew the story, I think mostly. And, and the Hauser brothers, I think one of them is not, has retired. I think it might be Sam. Oh really? But, I didn't hear that. Okay. Or maybe it's Dan. One of the two, I think it's Dan, but one of the writers, I think it's Dan, Dan's the writer. Um, I'm pretty sure. Um, they just, you know, I heard stories of them having vans full of like boxes of books and movies and comics and film, you know, like all this stuff that they would just submerge themselves in to come up with these storylines. And I think that's why you can feel it in the world so much, right? Like yeah. they pick a tone and they pick a, a style and a world that they want to put you into, basically like a movie they want to put you into. 
and then they just nail it and they and then that's the that's their like golden thing at least from my perspective how i watch them do that and what i've seen relative to other you know equally successful game companies that i've worked at um and so i learned a lot from that and their their attention to detail like i think i said this in ts's podcast but like the the leads going through frame by frame on their cinematics to make sure that it goes from cutscene into gameplay without any hitches right like that kind of stuff it's just their their attention to detail is, is so high over there um not that it isn't at other companies but like in terms of like immersing the player in this atmosphere or this world other com like the other companies that i've worked at have been more about like skill and experience and you know like um like the feel of the game yeah like what does it feel like to play the game versus like what does it feel like to be in the world just kind of two different things you can target up yeah so i want to touch on something you you quickly said but i i think is really important to dig in on a little bit because you said a year and a half is enough time to make an impact let's talk about that a little bit right because because i think most of the people that are listening here want either are looking to be a game designer or they want to be a better game designer or developer of any kind what why why do you say a year and a half was a good like in your head that that's a good amount of time to make an impact what does that mean to you yeah i mean it's a good question that year and a half wasn't necessarily nine to five yeah um, for lack of a better word um so it might have actually been like two years <laughs> right yeah <laughs> if i'm being generous i think um and and it, it made an impact in a lot of ways i think do i like I, you know i don't think that like red dead is uh i i had an impact i think in getting people this is a really good question <laughs> I, I ask it because I, when you said it, I was a hundred percent with you. And then for a second, I was like, wait a minute. Why do, why am I with you? I want to hear yeah. what, like, <laughs> like, like, why did I say that? That's it's what I'm not, right now. <laughs> it's not an no, easy I, thing I, to describe. Right. Because like, yeah. because like the first thing that pops to mind for me is that's enough time to like own some content. You know what I mean? From like oh, implementation yeah. to iteration to, you know, like I started this, we iterated on it, I finished it, you get to play it. Like that's that can definitely happen in a year and a half. And and I think oh, I had yeah, yeah. I think that's what you're saying. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, you're good. Um, yeah, I mean I like I think I worked on like like forty to fifty out of the ninety missions. Um because what would end up happening is people would move to different teams or people would leave and I would sort of take them on. I never actually created a brand new mission on that game. Like never from scratch. Everything oh. was already the like the missions were at, like so. That's why I think I was trying to figure out how um, I had an impact, even though I, I know like I know like I know I did right. Yep. But like what was it? It's not like I designed this super cool mission. But a lot of the times I was taking because like the way Red Dead is is you have this big open world and you got to create a mission in this space, right? Yeah. So very few times did you get a unique space to you that's designed to that mission. Um, and so a lot of the time was me just taking the world that was already there yep. and trying to, um, you know, pace it out and create an experience within that that felt good to the player. Like, I don't feel like I like probably the most impactful thing I did, like in terms of what we've all experienced as players um, was like scripting the music that played once you went into Mexico or whatever. But like even that was me putting a trigger volume down and once they got there the music started playing and like just making sure that worked right but that's like a lot of people's memorable moments and like for me i like put a volume down and like triggered it i didn't write the music or anything yeah. like that or do that stuff but um you know 
I did a lot of combat encounters. I found that the people would, like, I would get a lot of the more bigger scale combat stuff, and I did all of the races, um, and, like, like taking, realizing on the third iteration of the race that, man, you know, like, there's three different types of races. Let me, like, figure out how to take all of this logic and put it into one thing so that when I'm fixing a bug in one race, it goes to all of the others. Yeah. <laughs> um, stuff like that, you know, and so... I did a lot of stuff on that game and I, you know, I worked on a lot and we, but, uh, I don't know if I could, you know, like pinpoint to something. It was just doing a lot of scripting well, and a lot of problem solving. I think, Oh, you, you, you literally just, just described the real thing. And what I want to talk, uh, touch on that you kind of, kind of brushed on here a little bit is they were not your ideas, right? Like the initial idea was not yours. But what I try to tell everyone who's interested in being a game designer is the idea is not what's important. The execution is what is important, right? There you go. Because every everyone has ideas, everyone has good ideas. And but the the real key here is is that idea the right idea for this game at this moment in this scenario? And even when that's true, making it actually happen is what actually matters. And people don't realize that's that's where the work is. Like oh man yeah if you paint if you paint this picture right imagine you have the best idea like subjectively the best idea because hasn't been executed on right you have the best idea I'll come with a shittier idea honestly a paper and if we like measure up against who's gonna get five people that are all talented to do things to like make this idea better or like bring this idea to life if you have the greatest idea but you can't communicate and work with other people yep. and problem solve to help to do that. By the time this group of people that has the shittier idea to start with, but has been iterating on it more and is more collaborative and working closer together, their thing is going to be 10 times better than whatever that you could have dreamed if you just have an idea and you're trying to do that. So yeah, 100% agree with you. Ideas come out of machine guns. Um, it's really how can you get people <laughs> together and create magic or create something because how many times have we had an idea and then by the end of the game, it's like, that's not what we were thinking, but awesome. This is sweet. You know what I mean? This is this is good. So I, I hold I hold ideas lightly, and I'm I'm more than happy for people to fire ideas out me because I'll, I'll help make those ideas better. But um, I do think it's in the collaboration and the execution that you really get the magic. Yeah, ideas come out of machine guns. I'm I'm stealing that. I love that. It is. I love it. Uh, okay, so here's a really good question from Fancy Rhino in the chat. How does one determine what the right idea is and how to execute it? Uh, yeah, I mean, if we're talking about video games, I think you should start not about the, you should start with like, what is the experience you're trying to create for people? Um, and then ideas that build up through that way. Um, what was the second part of the question? I guess I could look at How that. to execute it. Like, Yeah, how to execute it. Yeah, so like, if going if you have an idea about an experience you're trying to create for people like i'm just going to use that because you could have ideas about a lot of things but thinking of game in general games is like you create an experience for someone at least from my my perspective um and you know then once you have that idea then you need to start thinking about who are the type of if you're looking, thinking about people, you think about who are the type of people that would get excited by this idea who who has some sort of connection to it what will what, what will who who will this idea resonate with um, is a great place. 
uh, and then you got to th then you got to look to other things that um, have tried to have tried to achieve on that idea as well is a good way to do it. Who else has had a similar idea and tried to do something like this and then maybe play that or experience that and look at the decisions that they made while they were doing that. Um, and then, you know, you've, you, there's another way to think about it is like, what are all the different things that would live within this idea and start sorting through that um, and prioritizing it versus relative to like, how many people do I need to make an open world game versus how many people do I need to make a storybook game where it's linear, you know, like yep. which way, because you can achieve your idea in both of those, right? And so honing in on what that idea is, what what actually is objectively required to create the idea will then start to help you figure out the, the little bits and pieces that you need to sort of kind of put that together. Yeah, the, the piece I add to that is thinking about who your player is, right? You're not making this game for everybody, right? Like, and one of the things that, that we did a lot at Volition and that is kind of ingrained in me now is thinking about player archetypes. Like, like what kind of people do we want to play this game? Do we want the grinder to play this game? Do we want the person that cares about a story experience to be care? You know, like who are those people? Narrow it down to two or three of those. And then the decisions you make are based around the, and some games try to, to appease to everyone, right? And that's, that's a big order, right? It's a big you can game. feel it as a player when they try to do that. Too. Right, you can, feel, yeah, like, uh, you can feel it, right? But if it's yeah. a concise, like this is the game we're making, this is who we're making it for, and all of our decisions are built around this kind of mantra, I think you come out with a much more kind of focused and clear experience for people. Agreed. I, you know, more more often than not, with a bunch of veteran developers, I've been leaning on the more archetype old thing more because it, it's just a little bit more objective, right? Yeah. You know, some companies have, you know, we make the games that we want to play um, or like, you know, like that kind of a theme. And I think that's really good, but it, it, it's hard when you have a, you know, if you have like, I'm just going to pick an astro, like a, if you have 200 people. Like, do all 200 people want to make the same exact game? That's great. Once it gets to a thousand, I'm not sure, right? Um, there's there's a lot of power in that when everyone's in unison on 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 doing that. But I find it's easier for me if I know exactly the type of player that we're not, you know, like, and, it, and it can be a range. But it, I'm finding that more helpful now in my position at Polyarch, where I, I really want to know who our target audience is, um, especially in VR, uh, because that it, it it can affect a lot of decisions that you make. And yeah. You know, if you have hundreds of million dollars, fuck it, let's hit everybody. You know, <laughs> we'll do this marketing campaign for them. We'll do this. They'll have yep. this mode, right? Single player for them. Who wants multiplayer? You get it over there. You know what I'm saying? But when you're working on like a smaller budget, you're like, it's for these people. And if you're indie, it's like, I'm making this for my mom. Like, I think that's even okay, <laughs> right? Like moms are the, are the audience for this, specifically mine, because I want to bring her joy. And so I'm going to make this little game where I test out my skills on the engine just to like let her play memory in this world that I created. Have you done um, that? That'll, that'll help you. No, I haven't. Oh, I made it. I made. I did. I did show my. <laughs> that's actually a really cool idea. Like, <laughs> I, I was I like, did, yeah. I, if you pull out your phone to download that, no. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, like, especially with phones, right? Like, yeah, yeah. So there's there's a lot you could do. I I did show my mom one of my um my cinematic home movies in Warcraft in the Warcraft three yeah. editor. And do you know how, like, there's the race... Uh, can I say this out loud? Do you know the race of... No, I'm not going to say it out loud. Anyways, uh, there, was a, there was a little thing that I made. And Are I had, you talking like, about a Warcraft race? 
I, I can't. The, yeah, I can't. Now that I say it out loud, it's just better that when I say it out loud in my head, I don't think it's really appropriate for Twitch. So I'm, <laughs> I'm just gonna I apologize. I'll give you guys another one. <laughs> Eighteen-year-old Danny didn't really know what he was doing. Oh man, doing. we're gonna talk about this individually later. <laughs> so there is there we is a enough subscribers up. today. Maybe that's I'll, right. I'll, yeah, I'm just gonna <laughs> like subscribe. That's right. So there was a follow-up question, and this is interesting. Uh, are there any tips for getting people on board with making a particular type of game? So, so for me, it's always a perspective of I'm making a game for kind of people. How do you think about getting people to get on board with that type of game? Oh man. Yeah, totally. It's all about like generating excitement, right? Find the thing about that aspect that that person would be interested in. And the, the thing here though, is you need to understand that person, right? right? Like you can't like just walk into a stranger in the street. Do you want to make a game about butterflies? Because you look like someone that wants to make a game about butterflies. And they're like, I don't really like butterflies. But two people behind them is just like, yes, butterflies, I'm right. down. But you don't really have to talk to them, you know? That's a weird analogy. But um, that it really comes down to finding the thing that gets people excited. And, <clears throat> you know, I learned this early on in my career. Well, I guess it wasn't early. I learned this at Bungie, um, thanks to, thanks to a, a coworker of mine at the time. Uh, but it just kind of clicked where I was just like, as a designer, it for me and other people have different viewpoints on it. It's just like if everyone is excited about it, then I'm even more excited. And so it's sort of my job to find the things that get the animator excited, the artist excited, the sound effects excited, the VFX excited. Like I'm not doing my job. I haven't found the right idea if the whole group isn't excited about it. And you know that's not a hundred percent all the time. Some people are you know you're going to have one person that's not but then you talk to them and you're like hey what about this are you excited about or what parts do you think would make you like if we what would we do that would make you excited about it like you have to have those conversations because yeah. like you can't read minds and there's like 10 people that need to be involved to create one idea in a video game and so that's that's a big thing for me is and and I don't necessarily I had a little bit of a superpower of my intuition where I don't necessarily need to ask them hey would you like to make red and blue butterflies I my I can talk to them about the problem that we're solving and then hear the things that they're excited about through me talking about the problem that we're trying to solve or yeah. the goal and then sort of be like yeah that's you know like me personally Danny likes probably wants purple butterflies but the audio the the audio designer the effects artist and the animator are all stoked about red and blue it's still a butterfly. Let's do the red and blue one, you know? And, and I think that's a really good way. And it, and it shows that you're listening to them at the same time and that you're also interested in, in bringing their ideas into the idea yeah. instead of being like, hello, I'm coming down with my 10 ideas. Uh, this dude named Jesus, God, just gave them to me. And like, here they are. <laughs> no questions asked. Right. Going to hell if you don't do them. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah. it, it's really about that collaboration. Oh, man. I, the way I like to think about it, and especially when I'm in a, like a true design director role, is I create a box, right? And I'm like, here are the parameters of this box. This is the current size of this box. These are the things that I think are going to go in this box. I'm going to hand that box to someone and say, Hey, this is, can, can you make some cool shit with these parameters? And they're going to be like, absolutely. I can. Right. Yep. And, but, but when they come back to me and be like, Hey, I had this great idea. That's a little outside of that box. And I'm going to be like, yes, it is. We're going to make that box a little bit bigger. So yeah, that idea exactly. fits inside. Right. Because it's, this is not a, here's the thing that I want you to make. You're going to make that thing. Right. Yeah. And, and if you're approaching it that way, 
I, I think you're you're not you're not thinking about the people that you want to be creative with you, right? And and it's uh, yeah, yeah, you need totally. to enable them. Man, empathy, oh, that'll get you so far in game development. Like being able to understand and feel what the other person's feeling, and not only that, empathy translates into the player experience as well, right? Like, yeah, I want to put myself in the player's shoes. That requires empathy. Right. And so, yeah, I would love you as a lead designer because you give me a box, <laughs> I'll go crazy. And so that's one of been one of my struggles as as a higher, you know, as a like design director, um, you know, and design manager is just like, I don't I don't do too well with a blank page. Um, I don't either. Not really my style. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not a blank page person either. Like I need to especially. Oh, man, a, a, a blank page terrifies me. Yeah. Like, like it's so, at least four weeks of me staring <laughs> at my screen man. Yeah. Well, this is a big part of also with adhd anxiety and imposter syndrome right oh, those three things together a blank page and me are never going to work together so right, you're just like the three the three axes of my the life right now, right? Like, <laughs> but, but i will say i will say at the same time those three things are the best combination for collaboration because yeah. I don't use a blank page. I use a whiteboard and I get people with me. It's mm -hmm. like, I want like, let's talk about this. Let me, th let's all throw ideas out. And personally, I'm someone who's good at seeing a bigger picture. So like, even if we're all collaborating, I can see all that stuff and be like, I see how this is going to fit together. I see how it's going to mm -hmm. come together. Like we're, we're coming together to create that box. And while I'm in charge of the box, I need help getting there, right? And that that should be collaborative. This is not, I'm not a person who's like, I have a vision. This is the thing we're going to make. You go make this part of it. That will never be me. And it sounds like that'll never be you either. <laughs> no, I know. And it was, you know, honestly, I was told to do that at Bungie by my lead. And then I went to the, another lead of the department and, you know, naive person. I went and tried to do it. Two days later, that lead brought me into a room and said, hey, that's not how it works. And I was just like, I like the way you're thinking about it a lot better. You're the talented artist. Let me let you be the artist, and I'll just tell you the right. box that that art needs to fit in, right? And that just changed my life. Oh, I love uh, that. Yeah, that's you know, like, you have 20, you know, like, who knows how long these, this artist has been doing it or this sound designer has been doing it, but it's a lot longer than you because you're a game designer. So you you work out the box, you know, and if you want to be the person to come up with the idea for how long the box is, like that's great. But like, you got to let them do their thing, um, and and let like trust the talent around you to help you solve the problem that you're trying to solve. Yeah, the second that I anticipate the answer they're gonna have, I've limited them to my imagination and have not tapped into their skill set. It, it's it's uh. wild. Like, I like thinking about it from an imagination standpoint, yeah, right? This, I, there's I like so that, yeah. much, this game, this this industry is so much about imagination. And it's not even just like, I've got this grand idea. It's, I need to solve a problem. How mm -hmm. do I solve that problem? You have to use imagination to come up with an elegant solution. Yeah. Why and, stifle and people? That's, yeah. That's probably true in like other industries too are just like we get to imagine dragons and aliens and robots and lasers and stuff like that right instead of like spreadsheets <laughs> imagine if this supply chain worked better than this one right <laughs> so so you mentioned um, destiny let's t let's talk about you getting over to bungie so was was red dead as red dead's ending what was that like experience like for you was it you're done yeah, i need like, to move on like, where, like where was your head at 
Yeah, Red Dead ended, and then I blinked, and then I was inside Red Dead Undead Nightmare. Uh, yep. Um, which was like a bunch of zombies and stuff. And 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 during that time, I went over from being a mission scripter. They put they put me uh, as like lead multiplayer designer on this DLC pack. I don't really know what it meant, but like my job was to like basically ended up with me and Barasa in a, in a meeting room whiteboarding and we joke about this now because we're actually doing it for real at Polyarch but like we always throw back to when we were at Rockstar and they're like hey they need a multiplayer mode in like X amount of time and we just went into a room and basically made Mario Kart Grand Prix like circuit systems and then like objective based matches but it was a cool moment right like you said whiteboard get into a room um, so we did that for a little bit and I kind of got a little bit of taste of what the next like rung on the uh Rockstar ladder would be. And plus, I had all my experience of understanding what it would take to be a manager at Rockstar during Red Dead, right? You know, for what it's worth, the the leadership and the management at Rockstar were right down in the trenches with you. You know, you can work at some place where they're like, hey, we need to get this done, and it needs to be done within this amount of time, and then they go home to their families. But like these, this crew yeah. would. They, they would be in the trenches with you. So I'm not saying that's the best situation to be in, but if you're going to be in that situation, you want them next to you. You know what I mean? That makes it feel a little bit better. Um, so I, I didn't find that that was something that I was really excited about. It was still in my second job. And so uh, I think I hit up Josh at the time, Josh Hamrick, and said, hey, I don't necessarily think my future's here, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, what's going on over there? I, they had just recently left Microsoft, maybe like, three months after I, I hit them up about three months after they did. Um, and so then around the April of that next year, I had a fun, I had fun after we shipped on dead nightmare. I had fun in San Diego with the homies for a little bit. And then I moved, and then I moved up to Seattle. I wanted to live in a city. That was, that was the next thing I lived in suburbs all my life. Uh, and I wanted to live in a city and Seattle just ended up being it. Little did I know I was about to move to a city home of infamous Macklemore and the Seattle Seahawks won Super Bowl a year later. I was just I was on cloud nine when I got up here, man. I was working on a new bungee game. I'd never lived in a city before. Macklemore was out. He was fun to make fun of, but also like tight tracks winning Grammys. Like it was just like weirdly I you know, like it was just like, oh dang, I didn't even I didn't even know Seattle really existed when I lived in Maryland. I don't think I actually ever registered it. Uh, even though my brothers were big Nirvana and like Foo Fighters, and I was listening to the music that was coming out of Seattle in the '90s, but I didn't really realize it was it was Seattle. Yeah. Um, and so I, I got the I, I did the interview at uh, at Bungie, and interestingly, like similarly to the Midway, uh, like design between AI behavior and cinematic scripting, um, they were looking for an AI combatant designer and a sandbox designer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so like I, I interviewed and I think Josh, you know, they, they had to choose between them or whatever. And then me and this, uh, another guy named Dell got kind of hired and Dell went to combatants and I went to the sandbox to basically the way it, once I realized what was happening, I was going to be responsible for putting abilities and talents and armor uh, into basically Halo, I guess, when you think about it like that, right? Because Halo was like vehicles, weapons and equipment. And so, um, you know, Josh was doing all of the weapons, and I started designing the classes, uh, the Hunter and the Warlock and Titan. There was already a lot of work done before I got there. Um, there was actually four classes, I think, when I got there. Um, and so then that was basically the rest of my next four years was designing the classes for Destiny um, and, and being the non-gun and vehicle guy. 
there's another guy, Bill Gross, who was handling the vehicles, and then John Wisniewski came on, um, who was an embedded tester and then got brought up to be a sandbox designer. And now he's, you know, he's, he's an amazing dude and a killer fucking musician. Um, and so that was sort of where it went. And, I, you know, when I got there, they were still working in the old Bungie engine prototyping. Like, we hadn't Ooh. switched over to the Destiny one yet. I guess it was like a ported version, like like they called it at something at the same time. So I was testing out, you know, Josh had done a little bit of abilities when I had gotten there and they had some sort of stuff, but it was, it was, it was really, it was four years on it and they had already done concept, but that was, um, you know, from the moment we switched over to the engine and doing all that stuff, I was, I was a part of that. I learned a lot. So you say four years overall, how, how long before the game launched? Cause it's a live game, right? Like you could have been there. At, the, at launch and worked on it for four years, right? So I, no, no, I left two months after it launched. So okay, I was so, there. Wow. Yeah. Okay, that's a three yeah. months. Yeah, yeah. September. Yeah, I left in December to start Polyarch after it launched. But yeah, it was it was my longest game. You know, it was a year and a half at Bungie or at Rockstar. Apologies. And then at Midway, like <laughs> Black Slate's dev sick cycle was Dude. like six to nine months. I think <laughs> it was like. <laughs> It was pretty four quick. years so. on a game is a long time, regardless of when you you enter, right? But four years before it launches, that's uh, yeah. that's that's impressive. That's that's a lot of time. Yeah, man, it was it was, it was definitely a great experience. Um, you know, it was really cool going back to WoW because that's like in my mindset, what I was doing was like, okay, we've got this like really great first person shooter. And so now I'm going to go take all my experience from Diablo and World of Warcraft, and which are also really like, you know, accessible RPGs, and and then bring that into the system. So that was sort of my guiding light the whole time. The biggest the biggest problem that I ran into was the the constant um, like uh, tension between PvP and PVE. Uh, and so that became like a really big that made my job hard that's what i just straight up say because like in pvp all the players had movement modes right and in pve none of the characters had movement modes and so in that but the abilities and the classes were shared across it and there was like really strong aspirations to be one of the first games to like you know we're gonna you're gonna be the first shared you know level your level in pvp and your level in pve matters um you know whether we had the tech or not that just became like a really hard design problem to solve right because how do you create abilities and talents and things that make you feel like you have player expression as this like fantasy and this archetype um when they also has to be in like usually you do that by like oh i get to freeze the enemies in place and then shatter them which you know they ended up actually doing a couple years ago a year or two ago or whatever <laughs> Um, <laughs> you saw the reception like there was some tension there too so probably back then it was a good decision not to uh, but you know you have all these 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 uh, power fantasies at, when you're like doing player expression that you get as like classes right in these other RPGs and stuff uh, but it's a shooter at it's heart right and, and so they can't one. really and like, a good one. Oh yeah, my the god the mechanics are like really good like just the yeah. just running around shooting shit is really really good yep no i mean that's 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 probably the thing i'm uh, up from our team is like even though destiny when it launched it was still trying to figure out what it was what does it mean to be a you know mmo shooter and all that stuff like the core sandbox was fun to play it was cool to you know shoot your weapons it was cool to customize them felt great to you know activate your super and throw your abilities and stuff um just as so like at, at that point we were really excited about it 
Uh, but it's a crazy time, man. But I agree. I think that's there's some special sauce. The guy that, you know, it's really hard to pinpoint it on anyone, but at least the person that taught, you know, Josh had worked on Reach under his name, Sage Merrill. Uh, but Destiny was my first game underneath him, um, and I learned a lot about gameplay and feel and sort of balance and that dance that happens in multiplayer games in a shooter from him, uh, which was really, really valuable. Nice. Just I, just like the idea that. of like input-output. He was just like really great at talking about that. I don't know if I've worked with someone that is... Uh, I, let me rephrase that. I haven't had that kind of learning experience with someone that I've worked with yet. And mm. I, and I, I, I kind of crave that, you know, like, like I, I get a lot of that from my own personal experience and from things that I see and from re- reviews and that kind of stuff. But I haven't had a mentor in that space yet. That's really what I'm trying to say. And I think yeah, I need to find yeah. that because it's such a integral, you know, like core part of it. And when I first played destiny, I was like, this just feels great, right? Like, it doesn't matter what's going on outside of this, the movement and the shooting and everything makes sense. Like for me, I was just like, this just, it, it feels natural. I think that's the real word. And I don't know how to get there. You know what I mean? Like I, that's yeah. not in my toolkit. Man, it's all, it's so little things. I think I learned a lot from Josh on that too, watching how much he would just like bring up other games and just analyze them, analyze them like screen by screen, just like, okay, they're doing this. Like at Midway, I remember him doing that with Assassin's Creed. So we were working on a third person game back then. And then I remember seeing it at Bungie again, Cod had come out at the time of this Modern Warfare stuff and just watching how, how much he like studied that and like tried to bring it over in, in good ways. But yeah, I, I, I think it's important. I think you can get it from a lot of people. It's like really just like you, you mentioned it earlier at the start of this, just like sponging and absorbing, right? Yeah. Um, and really just putting yourself in situations where those type of people are, right? So if you want to learn, like if I wanted to, you know, like I'm sure there are people at the Naughty Dog who could teach a lot about how to create a cinematic masterpiece and the things that go into that, you know? Yeah. Uh, but sometimes we don't get access to those, right? So it's the little things. But I feel you. I think, you know, I'm sure you have things that you've probably already offered people, right, just by doing this stream. Oh, I hope so. That's, that's for me, that's a lot of the point, right? And it's it's less about them learning from me and more about them learning from all of you guys that have tremendous experience and, and, and you know, just there's a wealth of knowledge here that I, I hope that people start to gleam from and, and understand and appreciate, so... I, uh, yeah, it's, it's right, awesome. Yeah. All right. So we got like 25 minutes left and I want to make sure, first of all, that big ass question that someone asked oh, earlier, we, we definitely, we definitely got to get to that. <laughs> that. That's coming up now, but also I want to go ahead and, and throw out there that I, I think you and I need to do this again soon, maybe right after Moss two releases. Cause I think it'd be cool to, to talk about like that whole process and all that good stuff. But can what? I bring a friend with me? Like, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cool. There's more people that need, yeah, that, yeah. They got smarter things to say. At this point, I'm just trying to keep everybody <laughs> happy in the studio. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, I hear you. Yeah, yeah. we. That, that's actually one of my goals for the. I'm actually on vacation right now until early January. One of the things I want to do is figure out how to set up a multi- you know, multi-people stream here so that it looks mm. good. We can have more than one person. Totally. We can talk about various stuff, so... That you, you know what, you've given me enough of an incentive to make that happen so that we can have multiple people in here and have a good conversation when your next game comes out. 
we've got till spring 2022. That's right. That, that's and and that's exactly where I went ahead now, which is you decided to do your own thing. Mm-hmm. So what what gave you that in like what gave you that motivation? Why did you decide it's now time for me to co-found my own company? Uh, you know, it's most Colonel Nugget Tam Armstrong who's my co-founder uh, and he's the CEO of the company. I like that, right? You know, I've talked about people that I trust and, and getting reflection. Uh, and and that was, you know, we had been friends. We'd worked together at Bungie and, you know, we had done, he had taught me boxing. We had been working out together. He had got me through relationship stuff. Um, and he's just a genius programmer and just like a really smart guy. Uh, but that, so like, it was sort of him, you know, just, I was, he opened my eyes to the possibilities of VR, not from the sense of like, look what this technology is going to be, but like, look at the opportunities it presents to us as game developers. Um, and I was on my way out. Like I had already sort of decided in a similar way to Rockstar that I wasn't too excited about uh, the way that my creative energy may be handled or the people that were in charge of directing my creative energy mm-hmm. when I was at Bungie. So I'd already just started deciding, hey, what's next for Danny and what I want to do? I was on the city game. I'm starting to become more, at that time, I'm starting to become more interested in other um, sort of, I started becoming more interested in like inspiration, which I think can come from a lot of different mediums. Um, and it's still something that I'm very excited about mixing is being and like I constantly want to be inspired. Um, it's a big part of my my day to day as a game designer, like creating experiences for people. I want to experience new things. And so, you know, I was looking at cities of like New York or LA and like, I want to be surrounded by, you know, if you go to like, uh, you know, at the Grammys, there's a fashion show outside that has like magazine writers and musicians and, and, and all these other different mediums coming together. Yeah. Um, and, but when you go, when you do games, it's literally, it's kind of just like games and we all have our little corner. Sometimes I joke, it's like us as someone who had a game PC set up in their mom's basement. And that's where I played a lot of my games. Our industry is sort of just kind of like in our mom's basement or dad's or whoever it is. But you know what I mean? Like we, we're, we're all kind of comfortable just kind of being a little bit in the corner. Uh, at, you know, that's a gross generalization. So no, it's like just sort of that thing. But uh, I wanted to bring other, uh, like I was very interested in being surrounded by other uh, communities of entertainment and mediums that also, you know, provide entertainment to people or create experiences, whether it's through a book or through the clothes that, you know, you see someone wearing and how you feel when you see them wearing that. That's intentful on that person's side. You know, yeah. they made that decision this morning, you know, or that music that you heard or the film. So uh, I really just liked all of that. So I was starting to look at like, okay, you know, Seattle has a hell of a lot of game dev, but it doesn't have too much outside of that in terms of like that other entertainment industries. And so I was looking around. Uh, and at the same time, um, you know, both Oculus and Valve, Facebook were kind of close to Bungie. And so, we, you know, I got to preview a little bit of VR uh, early on um, at Valve and stuff. And so, I, you know, I don't, going back to me figuring out I wanted to go to game school <laughs> when I was in a dentist office, I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to go to like, I'm gonna be the next best VR game developer. Uh, it was just more of a happenstance and aligning with where I wanted to go next, right? I wanted I wanted a challenge. I'm about I'm a, really about growth and continuing to grow. And if it gets stagnant, I'm just kind of doing the same thing over. I don't really feel like I'm succeeding personally. That's nothing to do with like money or anything like that. It's just like 
I need to be challenged to grow a little bit of that ADD that we were talking about. Um, and so uh, I I got a chance to play with the Vive uh, first. I had seen the, the set before that, and I wasn't really like, oh, I'm going to quit Bungie and go work on this thing where you got to have pieces of paper up on the wall to see what you're tracking, because that's how they used to track. It's crazy how far we've come. Oh, uh, <laughs> just like five years. <laughs> Or six, um, and so it really came down to I play. I played this game um, at the time. It was a VR game. It's probably most people play. It. It's called Vacation. No, that's the sequel. Goddamn, Job Simulator. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Job Simulator. And and I was doing it in front of people, and I grabbed a tomato in this virtual world with my tracked hand controllers, grabbed it and threw it behind my back, and then caught it. Like I caught the tomato with my left hand. <laughs> And I was just like, what? And that, that might not seem like a big thing to a lot of people, but I was just like, for me, I was like, that was responsive. Like, and I know they didn't put time into like, what happens if you throw it behind your back and try to catch it, right? That just kind of worked within their sandbox. Uh, and it kind of just blew my mind because I, I see games as a function of input. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, and then you get the output from the game and that's what helps you create your, that's the experience, well, the things that I'm intentfully doing. And then the, and then input the is expression, right? Like input like, is expression. Yeah. yeah. And what is more expressive, which I think is what most players want in games and, and, and in life, I think as humans, we want expression, right? Uh, <laughs> then throwing a tomato behind your back and catching it in a virtual world. That was pretty expressive to me. I just tried it. It worked. Um, and my hands were fully tracked, right? And so, um, to me, that kind of like put me over to the top. I was like, yo, if there's a new form of input, then there's new games, like flat out. Yeah. Like that was just like a pretty straight answer to me and, and logically in my head. Uh, and so that was sort of, I was just like, well, we don't need to make Red Dead Redemption in VR. We need to make like Tetris in VR. <laughs> you know, yeah. like that's what we, we need to make something simple. We need to go back to NES. We need to go back to Sega. We need to go back to Super Nintendo before we had to layer on all of these, you know, complex systems that keep players engaged and do all of this stuff. We need to go back to the roots and just create a really simple input on a new medium and give players an experience through that. And so I saw it pretty clearly at that point, you know, down the line. We ended up just being like, let's make Zelda in VR, you know, and, you know, obviously that it's not exactly Zelda, but... Um, it was that clear to me once I saw it, and and I had a lot of faith in Tam, uh, a lot of confidence. I don't really, I wouldn't follow too many people like with my career, but that was one guy that I was just sort of like, I know, and you know, he's a he's a great heart, so he's good intentions. He's been taking, you know, looking out for me. He's not going to stop now. Uh, and so that was really just what gave the confidence. It wasn't too much a reflection of, of Bungie, other than like, you know, Destiny didn't necessarily turn out to what. I in my head and there was no one at that company that could have done anything about that it was just in my head I just had these aspirations and yeah. I didn't it just kind of you, you get it to the end of it and you're like oh okay I see what we've actually created and it's still awesome uh, but I'm gonna like kind of keep pushing myself forward man it's a long answer you know it that you said a lot of things in there I'm not even sure that you <laughs> realize what you said right because you said your goal was to make Zelda in VR, right? Like, or at least that was a thought that you had. And I think every great game starts with that kind of thought, right? Because you're like, there, there's this thing that means a lot to me. And I now see a way that I can make something similar to that. And it's mm -hmm. not, you're not trying to recreate Zelda. You're trying mm -hmm. to build something that 
inspires the same emotions and feeling and experience as that did for you and this other medium. And that, that is, that, that's how the best things start. I think. Awesome. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. No, I love that perspective. And I think it was like a small, small, like, I guess for us too, is like, we, and it's where we wanted to be a, a big fish in a small pond. Yeah. And, and the big fish came from our veteran game development skills. Not that we had a big name. Cause I, we ran into that a lot. Like investors weren't lining up to give Danny Bullitt, Sam Armstrong and Chris Anderson a lot of money, but you know, this <laughs> other, uh, I'll just like, not that he doesn't deserve it, but like, you know, Rob Pardo goes to raise money and he's got $36 million. <laughs> we're, that's, we're like, that's a different, uh... man. we're like, let's go, <laughs> you know? Uh, and so I, I really, I really recognize that pretty quickly that name, you know, like name and clout does something, but in the end, you know, like talent and skill and, you know, a, a, a desire to do right by your people and the people that you're collaborating with and create something that excites everyone around you, like that can go far, you know, yeah. sometimes that's worth 33 million in itself. At least I would say so right now. Nice. <laughs> no, I agree with you. Like ultimately you, you had a vision for something and it was about where, how do we get there? You know, how do we get to how many people do we need? What roles are they in? We're in it because for those that don't know, this is your this is your first VR project, right? And it's also one of the first real VR experiences that that was out there. You know, at a at a at a AAA scale. You know what I mean? Like as yeah, far as like yeah. like that kind of thing. And so I, I'm curious, like how like how did you how did you kind of get there? You know what I mean? Like you had the idea of it. How how did you get to where it was a possibility for you? Yeah, I mean, it, it was a lot of baby steps. Um, we recognized pretty quickly from all of the demos that, like, character and presence was really, really important. And yeah. we also started um, to recognize that, like, animation and audio were going to be way more important than they ever have been in game development. I mean, they're already important, but, like, it's really important now. Um, and so, uh, you know, we started to come along. I think it was, like it really just like we just started going right like i remember like what is a level in vr we at the time when we started one of our, our our engineers he took a psi like the 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 like because psvr wasn't out at this time right so uh he took a psi camera and the move controllers because those were yep. right yep uh and then he took a oculus rift 2 was it even Rift at this time? Oh, I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't think it was even a Rift yet. Yeah. <laughs> took the other Oculus camera and he put them together and then he made some USB drivers for the PSI. And so we had janky. I had a little, I had the nunchuck move controller in one end and then another light here that was like being tracked by the distance from the yep. camera. And then my headset was tracked through the Oculus camera that was like taped on top of the PSI camera. And I was in Unreal 4 and it was just like, okay, Danny, make a game. <laughs> You're right. I'm the designer. The engineer's over there. Like, thankfully, Tam's a fucking amazing game designer at the same time. But like, uh, that's what it was. And it was just like, <laughs> what is scale? And then we got our artist and then, you know, but it was like, Dude, I had no idea, right? I just, I was going off intuition, like this feels right or this feels good. I knew we needed to have a character that would move around on a stick. Um, 
you know, it was a block for a long time. And I just started, what I started doing was looking for comfort. How yeah. far do I like to reach? You know, how far do I, before I lean in, before I fall off my chair? Like, that's where I was at in VR, right? Like, what, how far does it take me to turn my head to the side and, and, and these things? Um, and, you know, we're still refining that now, yeah. but... Um, well, this yeah, is also was... intention or uh, intuition based off of ten years of development experience, right? So yeah, it, it's yeah. not like you're just sh- Joe Schmo out here being like, "Let me see what works," right? You had a foundation, and and it's like, and I always tell people, it's like going into a new, like working on a new platform or a new system or in a new engine. You know how yeah. things should work, right? But at this point, you're like, okay, I have all this experience. I know how things should work, but now the way they receive and interact with the information is a whole new thing. So, so while you do have a great experience set to draw from, you're, you're kind of like you're saying, experimenting a lot. Lots and lots. Right. And I, and I still say it to this day, I'm like, when I talk to other people at the studio, I'm like, Hey guys, we're, we're, like maybe close to being VR experts, but right. we're still not. <laughs> like we, and we're far, we're way far ahead than a lot of the other developers in this, right? For as long as we're doing it, but like we still gotta try, because I do think you're solving the same problems that you solve regularly in game development with VR. You just have to solve them in different ways. Yeah, you know, so that that arrow that you would pull out for that problem, you gotta pull out a different one sometimes, and you just gotta think about them differently. But you're right, the foundation is still there. Um, and so then it, it requires that imagination. Well, if this is what it's like when I'm playing on 2D, what would you imagine? What would players expect? You know, when we're in this world, and, and what's going to like resonate with them in that way? Uh, yeah. Man, it's uh. So I did a, a little bit of VR work myself when I first left Volition. Worked with Doghead on a on, on VR conferencing software because for me it was uh-huh. like a like a, it's just a whole new thing, right? Like. Yeah. Just the the immersion experience. You can have the shittiest environment that you're in. It doesn't matter because you're fully immersed in this thing. You can turn your head and actually see and experience all that stuff, right? So, but you made a game that's more traditional, like, experience as far as, like, we would have picked up a controller with a Nintendo 64 or Super Nintendo. Like, that kind of experience you've now melded together. So... What were your kind of biggest thoughts leading into that? Of like, how do we kind of translate that into a, a fully immersive experience? Yeah, I mean, we wanted to be a bridge between console and VR. Um, we wanted to sort of make a game that's like familiar enough to console players, but like it felt different. Um, and, you know, we really emphasize that character relationship. So taking like basically taking a console game but making you as the camera a character was really important that's something i would say a lot during the project remember it's not a camera it's the character right like there's a third person in this scene between the protagonist and this other character you're there and so we would like need to like turn you know people would address you during scenes and stuff like that and that was really important um to bring it in so it's always on our mind you know like there were so many like vr games that were just like ports from console into it and to us that was like yeah you can do that but like that's not building for the medium and that's that's what we want to do we want to we want to like find the experiences within the new these new mediums you know whatever they are and we're not against the the other traditional mediums but like those have been worked on a lot right so like what you know i don't know if that's necessarily our battle to fight but on these newer mediums we want to find the things like you know when the iphone came out like it was a couple of years and then fruit ninja 
it came out and then we're all oh, like yeah. oh touch and swipe what the <laughs> fuck <laughs> you know like this is a whole new way to interact yeah and so like that's sort of how we look at vr it's like not many people because you know it's a high bar of entry though the quest has brought it down to like 299 and it's, it's phenomenal getting there. That, it's getting there yeah, yeah it's getting there right you know it's about as much as a switch yeah maybe the switch is a little cheaper um but it's just gonna get smaller and and you know like apples will come out soon and then We'll be on Fruit Ninja in VR again, but like that's how I see <laughs> it. Like tracked hand controllers, I look at that at the same way as I look at touch and swipe. As in, new games came from that, and there are now games that are way better. I don't know if you ever played Fruit Ninja on the PC, but it sucks. It was terrible. Yeah, it's a touchscreen <laughs> game, right? right? It's like for that medium. <laughs> so you know, like that—that's where we get excited. What are the what are the genres of games that are going to that's like you know like i think tabletop and like rts ish type games have not even it hasn't even scratched yet like there's a game called demio out which starts to like let you get a it's kind of like a cooperative turn-based uh dungeon crawler like but like mixed with D a little bit um and, and i think like people are just scratching the surface and it's really hard to like go deep into the surface because there's not a lot there's not too much money in that market um but I think there's some genres there. If you think about Fruit Ninja to iPhone and some of the other games, obviously Angry Birds and all these other, these big things, you know, these killer apps that got everybody on it. Yeah. Unfortunately, the killer app for the phone was at the actual phone. <laughs> so everyone right. was like, I need one for this, <laughs> right? So, like, I don't know if a VR game will be a killer app. Uh, I don't know if that would be the case. But what we do should look at VR is, like, it allows you to have an experience that you couldn't in these other mediums yeah and if you're building games that you could have that experience in that medium it's probably not the right vr thing right because like i'm just gonna i want to play first person shooter i'm just gonna go play it on on console you know that's so that that is absolutely the right perspective i think which is what's really going to bring people into vr at a more mass adoption level is something that draws them into it right and creating experiences like i can only get that if I've got a good, if I've got VR, right. And, yeah. and I think that what you're doing is kind of moving in that direction. And that's, that's a, a great way to kind of start building, not just yours, but a, you know, a suite of things across multiple companies or whatever. That's like, Hey, if you want this kind of experience, now there's enough over here, that's going to make it worth your time and money and effort. And I think we're getting close. The cost is coming down, right? The, the cost is coming down. You know, I, I'm, for Moss 2, like, I, I'm very excited for what's about to come out for people. Um, and one of my biggest hopes, other than the players enjoying it and getting more time to spend uh, with Quill, is that other game developers, you know, like, Moss isn't the crazy expensive game, you know? Like, I, I hope that people see what we were able to achieve in this new medium. And not think of it as a replacement for, you know, your Uncharted's or your Dark Souls or, you know, any of your favorite console games. It's not that. It's that other thing that you might want to go experience and, like, go on an adventure with a character that can look at you in VR and you feel their emotions and they react to you and stuff like that. It's You know, it's different, right? And so I hope I hope that other people see what we're doing and get excited about the possibility and maybe take, you know, a chat, like take a stab at maybe creating a new experience of this new medium, because like I'm, we're out here in this like big open prairie and obviously there's financial <laughs> things and there's things, but we're just like, wow, there's so much opportunity out here in about a year or two. Yeah. Um, 
Apple's going to come out with their stuff when they, when they when they decide to release that. I mean, it's all rumors, but um, yeah. You're out in the wild west, you know, like <laughs> you get to help create the landscape, which is a really wild place to be in. Like really. Yeah, it's exciting to help establish, you know, at least like the foundation. Yeah. Uh, and and I, and I think there's a lot to be had, you know, it, characters are so important and that's that's a big thing for us at Polyarch and you cannot like you you can meet Mario in VR. Right. Not that anyone has ever wanted that. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people that want that. When you're playing Mario, you're not like, oh, I want to go in there and meet him. But if you go in there and like he goes down the tube and then you're down there and then he looks at me and he shakes his head, he's like, I didn't want to be here. You're like, whoa, wait, you have a you have a personality, you know, like it, it, it creates this new sort of like relationship with video game characters that I don't think traditional media can do but has scratched the surface of, right? Like we all obviously are very connected to a lot of these characters that we love so much. Yeah. Uh, and, and we're excited to just sort of like go to that next step. What happens if they look at you? What happens if they die? And then when they respawn, they're frustrated at you. I actually know that's annoying as a player because we tried that. <laughs> you don't want that. Uh, you actually like them to kind of cheer you on after that happens. But like, yeah. it, you know, there's interesting things there that you would just never really think about before. Man, uh, there, all right. There's so many things I want to ask you, but we're we're coming up on time, so I do want to to get one question to you from from Fancy Rhino that was in the chat a while ago, which is thank you, Fancy Rhino. Yeah, <laughs> it says I was wondering if you knew what was required to establish a game company, and what skills a young entrepreneur may require themselves or look for in others to establish one. So I, they, this was asked of me. I have never started my own game company. That's not something that, that I personally am, am driven to do, but you have like, what, what advice can you give to someone who's interested in kind of doing that? Yeah. Find a partner. That was the biggest thing uh, that I'll say to anyone outside of any industry, but for my own basis, like I would never want to do this by myself. Um, so uh, I would say Tam is the entrepreneur out of the group, um, and he, you know, like down the line, he would be able to answer this fully. But I can answer it from my side, uh, which is like as a non-entrepreneur who uh, gets excited by really cool opportunities. Um, the things that I've learned are, you know, I mentioned earlier is like trust and respect, but it's alignment around the goals that you're trying to do. Um, I think focus is a big part of it. Um, there was a point during the start of Polyarch before we were a full company where we had about six or seven people that we were discussing starting the company around, right? And, um, you know, there got to a point where it was just Tam and I in an office, the only two people that had quit their jobs, and we were trying to make decisions and thinking about what these other people were thinking and taking into consideration. And we're like, hey, you know, like, we need to find some commitment here. Like, this is a lot this is a lot to take on and there's a lot of risk. So let's like go and start talking to this group of people that were potentially interested in starting this company with and really figure out where everyone's at. How quick are you actually ready to leave your job, right? Like uh, what type of games do you want to make and not make? We had, we had a, like a 12 page questionnaire, not 12 page, sorry, 12 question, maybe two or three pages <laughs> questionnaire about like sort of what are your goals? It's a big difference, I guess. Uh, you know, like what type of games do you want to make? What type of games don't you want to make? Where do you see the company in in five years? You know, all these type of things. And we all kind of sat around the table and talked about them, you know, and you started to really like 
a the fact that all of us got into a room and talked about it um, is a big part of that communication that's really important if you're trying to start a company with someone and you're like hey can we meet on tuesday to go over like what our goals will be for the next week and they're like ah, i got this other thing i gotta do or do that like you just gotta feel out what how what how committed they are their focus because I guarantee if you go to anyone, you're like, hey, I'm thinking about starting a company, they're gonna be like, yeah, that sounds interesting. I mean, I'm that person, right? right. Like I was kind of that person with Tam, I was like, yeah, that sounds interesting. But the more I got into it, uh, the more it became real. So uh, I think like a slower, longer period where you're really just like being intentful about thinking about it and, and do yourself a favor and like get to know that person, go out to coffee, spend time with them, understand what makes them tick think about it and you don't have to do this in this like weird like analytical way you can have those types of conversations um and if it's uncomfortable to have those conversations then then there's no way you should start a company with them later like or sorry not say uncomfortable if you're unable to have those conversations then there's no way you're going to succeed and so you can use those uncomfortable maybe even sometimes difficult conversations early on to see how you're going to be able to handle hey we're six months away from shipping this person just left we don't know what to do should we do this right like that becomes this when the stakes if you can't have like comfortable conversations when the stakes are basically nothing yeah then you're not going to be able to succeed when the stakes stakes are high and people's you know like likelihoods are on it so um you know make sure that you're comfortable talking make sure you're comfortable being in the same space and talking about uncomfortable things make sure that you have similar goals or if not that you're okay with what each other people's goals are for five years from now um Ironically, I've gone back to read. I don't know if it's ironic. I just like to throw that word in there sometimes. But <laughs> I went back and <laughs> I went back and read the, read my like questionnaire because I still have it, and it was just like you know I hope to be able. To, and I don't really know why I thought this too much, but I wanted to be able to travel and be remote. Okay. Uh, and I was just kind of like I hope that you know like five or five to ten years from now that I can like be here and work remotely and still be able to be as successful as a game developer even if I'm not in the same place. Uh, and I read that during the pandemic and I was just like, whoa, not what I was hoping for, <laughs> but like interesting that we're here. It is. <laughs> and, that... and now we're like a pretty hybrid studio, right? Like a lot of the people, I, you know, I've been in the same office building for two years with some of these people that I'm shipping a game with in a couple of months. Oh man, that's wild. I, I love that, that your, your response was not fi- that you have to do it all yourself. Right, because oh. there are very few people in this industry that can do it all themselves. There are there are some, right? And those are people some. are immensely talented on super, like, so many levels. I am not that person. I, I'm like you. I need a business person. I need an art person. I need a, a coach. <laughs> like, like, I need a group of people that, are, I, that I can trust and that are an expertise in the various aspects of game development that we need. Right. Like I would have to have that. And that's the only thing that would make me not panic from, from, from the word go. So, (laughs) so I love that you're not saying you need to figure all this stuff out because that's not realistic. Oh man. I'll I'll operate in a team anytime. I I feel like I'm my best one on a team. I'm like, it sounds like you and I are similar in the way that we start to like, like when we're by ourselves, like what are we going to do? do? (laughs) Yeah, man. I, (laughs) that's, uh, uh, it's so it's so wild how people people often people really outside of this industry have no idea what it takes to make a game right like and the different disciplines and personalities and everything that comes into play and then us even that we do have experience in this it's still hard like like we still like 
each time we're like, is this the right piece? Are we put the right things together? Do I even have the agency to help make sure the right pieces are coming together? Like there's just uh, yeah. so many things that are involved in making something special. Yeah, it takes a lot, but in the end, it just comes down to the people. Yeah. I mean, that, if there's, if there's some sort of like saving grace, is that like in the end the things that are special it comes down to the people and the way that they're working together and how they're collaborating yeah um, i hope i hope i hope that's true that's what i'm kind of anchoring my the rest of my life on too i think it's true i think you're all right there. <laughs> <laughs> all right man we've actually gone over time but i appreciate you hanging out with us tonight there oh, there's a great. thousand more questions i want to ask you so we're definitely gonna have to have you back on in the future uh, to get to some of that stuff but yeah, I didn't get to ask you anything either. Uh, well, we so, can we can have a whole episode of just that if you want. So we can yeah, I'll go. You did a you did Diaz's podcast, didn't you? I did. Recently? Yeah, yeah. All right, I'm gonna go listen to that and I'll come back with some questions. So, so that podcast was when I was doing esports. So it was very esports uh, focused. So if you want to do something where we get together and you talk to me, we can totally talk about that too. So like, we got we got room, we got time. We'll make it happen. That's fine. Yeah, I mean, you know a lot about me now. So that's right. Yeah. Now, now you just got the ships passing by. You that's got right. all the information for we me. Have half like, of the what story. about him? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I try to throw some stuff in there every now and then, but people are yeah, here for totally. you tonight, so we want to make sure they totally. get your story. We get it. But yeah, let, let's set up some time to to do another talk, and we'll like we can do two. Like let's let's get together and just chat some more, and then let's also see a, a bigger team thing once you guys are have your game out there. And we can talk about how it went and how you guys are feeling. And, and you know, that, that'd be some good stuff to talk about. That sounds great. Great content. Cool, man. All right. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Thanks, chat. Yeah, thank you. I'm going to jump off and say my goodbyes. And uh, we will talk to you soon. See you. All right. Later, buddy. Thank you for listening. And don't forget, you can join us live every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern at twitch.tv forward slash Jameson Doral. Every Tuesday, I'll have a new podcast episode ready for you. Be sure to follow me on all of my social media using the links in the show notes and join the Dev Team Discord to be a part of the conversation anytime. We'll see you soon. <laughs>